Right, today's reading comes from Psalm 84. So for those of you who have your Bible or devices, um, please feel free to grab those. Psalm 84, um, and it's titled, My Soul Longs for the Courts of the Lord. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Selah. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they may make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O Lord of Jacob, Selah. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness for the Lord God is a sun and a shield the Lord bestows favor and honor no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly O Lord of hosts blessed is the one who trusts in you amen just to clarify you you drank from that one yes. okay good I might need it well Good morning all. Wonderful to be back here in High Wycombe Church. Uh, I know my name's been mentioned many times. But Jason, lovely to meet you. Um, I'm from Maida Vale Presbyterian and yeah, in my third year of theological college. Uh, today we're going to be looking closely at Psalm 84. So if you do have your physical Bibles, it would be good to have that open in front of you. Uh, but before we get into it, why don't we open in prayer. Let's pray. Father God, take this time you have given us and grow us in love and knowledge of you. Use the words spoken today to encourage and exhort your people for your glory. Please humble us before you that we might revere and enjoy you as we ought. Amen. Well, if it isn't obvious already uh, by my accent, I was not born here in Perth. I'm originally from Cape Town, South Africa, and I've been here for 15 years of my life. And there are many things that I enjoy about South Africa. Uh, playing rugby and hockey with friends, uh, going down to the 7-Eleven petrol station and grabbing five rand or 50 cent slushies. Uh, also playing knock and run was good fun. Uh, there are many beautiful things to see in Cape Town, uh, such as Table Mountain, Lion's Head Lookout, uh, and obviously the crystal clear oceans. But if I or any member of my family were asked, what was the one thing that you missed most about Cape Town? Tricky question, but the more I think on it, the more it becomes obvious. Without a doubt, it would be the relationships. So often when we speak about a place, we think of the things that we did. Uh, but really, I think it's the people that we did them with. That's what makes it the most memorable. 
Likewise, when it comes to Psalm 84, the psalmist describes a deep and rich longing uh, to be where the Lord dwells. Yet in his writing, there's much focus on the place of the Lord. And obviously it's true, he does desire to be in the temple of God, but it must be understood that his desire is for more than just the place. The object of his longing is God, specifically being in God's presence. Now, during the time of this psalm, uh, the place of God's presence was in the temple that was built by Solomon, which was around uh, 900 BC. Uh, This is where God dwelt with his people on earth. So when we see uh, terms such as the Lord's dwelling place, house, courts, or Zion, think of that first temple that Solomon built in Jerusalem. Uh, Psalm 84 is written by the sons of Korah. I did some research. They're literal descendants of Korah. Makes sense. Uh, David appointed them to serve in the tabernacle and temple liturgy, or uh, formal worship. And it's according to the Gittith, which is most likely just a stringed instrument. But it's a song. Now, some commenters, uh, commentators sorry, argue that the context of the psalm, the psalmist himself, uh, is that he experienced uh, some sort of temporal banishment Uh, or some obstruction from entering into the temple. Um, That's what produced the psalm. Uh, It might be true, but it's just as likely that he really just delights being a dedicated servant uh, who longs for God's presence each day of his appointed service. In either view, uh, he expresses deep love for God's house. And this is conveyed in three distinct yet interwoven ways. So these are your main points if you're writing down notes. Number one, longing for God's house. Number two, journeying to get there. And number three, delighting in being there. So longing for his house, journeying to get there, and delighting in being there. Let's get into the first. Point number one, longing for God's house. The psalmist opens and exclaims in verses 1 and 2, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. This is no artificial excitement. The psalmist holds nothing back. His whole body engages in his expressive desires. Heart and flesh sing for joy. His soul, his innermost being, yearns for the courts of the Lord to be in his presence. Now, the courts of the Lord, as I already have said, uh, is the temple that was made by Solomon. Um, But what was unique about this temple? Well, it's the first one. Uh, It's magnificent in structure. Uh, Really, it's an architectural masterpiece uh, with intricate designs, furnishings and decorations. Uh, The framework was made of fine cedar wood. Everything was inlaid with gold. Uh, And inside uh, was the Ark of the Covenant uh, with a cherubim on either side. And that was made of solid gold as well. Uh, The structure as a whole really reflected reflected God's glory and his majesty. And more so, at that time, it was the only place on earth 
where there was communion between God and man. That was the very purpose for which the temple was built, communion with God. Now, being in the temple must have been so overwhelming, uh, simply by the sheer size and majesty it displayed, but communion with God, that is the real reason for our psalmist's longings. Now, how often do we long to commune with God, uh, to be in his presence here in the church, in prayer, in his word, let alone with our entire body, our heart and soul. Friends, if you believe in and follow Jesus Christ, God has made his dwelling in you. I say this because Jesus says in John 14, 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. So in the temple, only the high priest was able to enter the Holy of Holies in the temple once a year uh, to be nice and close in proximity to God. And us, friends, if we believe, we have God living in us. We have the opportunity to commune with God in such a close proximity, even closer than they did back then. But do we? We so quickly get distracted by the stresses of life and the activities which take our minds away from them. Netflix, sport, money, and spending that money on unnecessary things. I'm pretty good at that. Uh, Let us not get lost in obligation to worship God. Rather, let us be led by motivation to desire Him deeply. Continuing in verse 3. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Solomon's temple was large, with a great big courtyard. And to nesting birds, that's a great big aviary. Even lowly creatures such as sparrows and swallows... Five sold for less than a farthing, which is the smallest value of money, according to Luke 12. Even they find a home in God's glorious, majestic temple. And so close to God, right near the altars, any closer they might become part of the burnt sacrifices. Verse 4. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Now this verse takes the previous three and concludes that one is blessed if they are in God's presence. To be in fellowship with God, glorify Him, and worship Him is the chief end of man. It makes absolute sense why the psalmist says this one is blessed. He is doing that for which He is made. I think for us, it's an invitation to partake in His longing for being in God's presence. Don't let the world distract distract you from the refreshment that only comes through communion with God through Jesus Christ. We're worshipping the Lord now in, in this church. And there is opportunity each morning to read, each day to live for God, each evening to pray. Blessed are those who dwell in God's house. Now, it's not only those who dwell in God's house are blessed but also those who journey to get there. So point number two, journeying to get to God's house. 
In the second section of the psalm, here we are given the perspective of not only being away from, but also journeying toward the dwelling place of God. And what is the distinctive feature of the blessed? It's the fact that their strength, that is the source of their strength, is in God. Verses 5 and 6 say, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. Although the phrase Valley of Baca is only mentioned once in Scripture, and that's here, uh, the word Baca itself translates to uh, weeping. Um, and I think what we're given here is a really powerful image uh, by the psalmist. And really, it functions to, to sweeten the view of being in the presence of God. The Valley of Baca is used to represent the misery and suffering that a life of serving Jesus can bring. There can be many kinds. I can imagine it doesn't take too long for you to think about the time when you felt pain, uh, when you felt and experienced hurt and sadness for Jesus' sake. I only have to turn on the news. Friends, the world hates us if we love Jesus. He says in John 15:19, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. This might seem quite uh, gloomy, but do you see the blessing? We don't simply go through the valley of Baca, the troubles of life, with, with no effect. No, if the source of our strength is in God, it is made into a place of springs. The valley of weeping turned into an oasis of living water. Now, water in Scripture is often associated with life, renewal, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus says to the woman at the well in John 4.14, But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And also in John 7.38, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think any human being can hold back uh, rivers of living water. This is a blessing that's meant to be shared. Despite the fact that Christians go through hardships, afflictions, and difficulties, our actions and our attitudes speak volumes. 1 Peter 2.12 says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That means even when we are hated, even when we are reviled, we love our enemies. We live honorably through trials so that those who hate Christ can know him. The living water inside of us blesses others so that both we and they benefit from sharing in the presence of God. And there are people who live in a way that feels like they don't just cause springs to sprout, 
but really floods just to come on over. Uh, I think some people's positive attitudes, their desire to serve the Lord, their selflessness makes me want to do the same. Even when they're taken advantage of and they know it, they keep serving the Lord. Bless these people. May God raise us to be like them. How is it, though, that this is sustainable through the Christian life? It seems pretty tough to keep up with. Verse 7 says, They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. God gives us everything we need to be in his presence. And the wonderful thing is, even though our strength fails, his doesn't. There's not a breaking point for God. Regarding salvation, Jesus has taken the punishment of our sin on the cross. His once-for-all sacrifice means that we can have life and we don't need to fear death if we believe in him. And regarding the Christian life, God conforms us to the image of his son. We can now freely do good because we're no longer subject to slavery of sin. We're renewed day by day and God remains faithful and guards us from the evil one. Let me ask you, where is the source of your strength? Is it in God who causes springs in wastelands and strength in weakness? Or is it in yourself? When you face hardship, do you pray or do you believe in your own strength to get through it? Far too often I have looked upon myself and have crumbled. We as human beings are frail brittle, and we break. We think we've got it all together, but tragedy can shake our world and our strength collapses. Put your strength in God so when trials come, you will be ready. Know God and he will give you what you need to face them. Now the psalmist knows this and in turn prays the same for the king the representative of the people in verses 8 and 9. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. Although these verses might seem a little bit out of place, uh, the motive is out of love for God's presence in whom strength is to be found. Even though the king is above all people in political power, he is still a man and therefore subject to God in need of the same strength that everyone else needs. Now, having shown the perspective of journeying to God's house, now the psalmist expresses the delight in being there. Point number three, delight in being in God's house. Verse 10 reads, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For our psalmist, there is absolute delight in being in the temple, in the presence of God. It seems ludicrous on the surface, one day compared to a thousand. Not even just a thousand in the tents of wickedness. No, it's just a thousand elsewhere, uh, meaning a thousand in Hawaii the Maldives, Japan, Europe, America, who wouldn't want a three-year holiday? It sounds crazy, but is it? 
Jesus tells a parable, this is one and three, uh, about the kingdom of God. He says in Matthew 13, 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found and covered up, then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Also, Philippians 3.8 says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Relationship with God, fellowship with God, being in God's presence is of surpassing worth to anything we can actually fathom. To be known by and to know one's creator is why you and I are here. It is the only way our spiritual hunger and thirst can be satisfied. And we know God through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. We don't live to chase created things, to visit our dream destinations, build a dream home, take dance classes, go on a cruise, hike up famous mountains, go scuba diving, make a gourmet meal, learn to play a new sport, go fishing, shooting, buying a new car, sewing, the list goes on. We're not meant to chase these created things. In quality, there is nothing comparable to being in God's presence, worshipping his holy name. Nothing. And that's why the church is so great. We meet with believers, learn Christ through the word, and worship him through song and through prayer. It's a very small taste, I think, of what heaven will be like. Now, making it quantifiable using measurements, uh, the psalmist provides two ends of the spectrum. Uh, on one hand, the lowliest position, being at the very edge of God's house, right near the door. And on the other, dwelling with the wicked. And I think we can establish that it's the highest place based on the lowest place on this side. And he prefers the lowest in the temple. Now, if someone came to you and told you the lotto numbers for next week, that they've rigged it, they've planned what the numbers will be, they're offering you $50 million dollars. You'll most likely say, I think you're lying, or who are you? <laughs> but really, if someone offered you $50 million to do with what you want, when you want, or if someone offered you a volunteer position in serving at your local church, which would you pick and why? So are we choosing one day in God's courts or a thousand elsewhere? Are we serving God or are we serving ourselves? Are we investing in our eternal inheritance or are we paying toward our eternal damnation? Mark 8:36 says, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Now, our psalmist would rather be the poorest man in heaven than the richest man in hell. Verse 11 says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. 
Now, Lord is the light who has come into the darkness of the world. He brings both peace by Jesus' blood and protection from the evil one, granting favor and honor before himself. And in doing so, God holds no good thing back. It must be emphasized that this is specifically promised to those who walk uprightly, meaning that if you walk or live in ways in which you set your own standard for your life, this promise does not belong to you. When we lack nothing good from God, we live as we ought. It is right then for the psalmist to say, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Verse 12 captures all that was said before in the one verb, trust. And what does it mean to put one's trust in the Lord? Well, it's not only confessing that Jesus is God or Lord of our life. Uh, The psalm shows us that trusting in the Lord lights a fire in us to desire to be in his courts, in his presence above everything else. Trusting in God causes us to want to serve him rather than serve ourselves and follow the distractions or comforts of created things. Trusting God leads us from strength to strength as we live our Christian life through any hardships or trials. I think now is as good time as as ever to measure our wants in life? Do you wish to trust the Lord and desire to be with Him? Or do we prefer the things of the world and reject the Creator? Now I urge you to desire the Lord. Like the psalmist, let your full body worship Him in all circumstances. Why don't we pray? Lord God, how lovely is your dwelling place. How purposeful it is to be in fellowship with you. Help us to delight in your house when we delight in created things. Renew our minds and grant us strength to live upright lives as we seek to become more like Christ and invest in eternal things. Amen.